0: blog talk radio blog talk radio this is APSATS radio help for partners after sexual betrayal we talk about it here
1: betrayal trauma
0: we are APSATS certified clinical partner specialists and coaches who have been trained to help navigate you through this crisis There is nothing we won't talk about. So I've got Amy on the line. Amy, welcome to the show. What's your question? Well, I have a question about what um, healthy sexuality looks like when Mm. a sex addict is in recovery. One of the things we know about research and sex addicts is that they don't necessarily want sex with their own wife. And so to me, that says he's in really good recovery because he does want that with you. He has been two years sober. He has been in three facilities. And I suspect that's how he's wanting closeness with you. And so, you know, as FSAP trained clinicians and coaches, we don't have all the answers by any stretch of the imagination. But we have had experience working with partners and sex addicts. Many of us have had experiences working with a couple. Lots of us have had experience working with families and there are some very predictable things that you can see. And so that's where our experience helps you to feel safe and stable. And that is so important when you're talking about how to um, navigate the crisis. You know, What I know is that most times when this kind of thing has happened, you don't know who to talk to about it. You're just not sure. And so, unfortunately, one of the things that I believe is that it isn't necessarily safe to talk to just anybody. You really have to weigh the pros and cons of who you're going to talk to what you're going to say, and how to go about handling this situation. And, you know, it's not just the discovery, which, of course, puts you in crisis mode. And you're doing crisis management to the best of your ability when your brain isn't even fully functioning because you're in shock, you're in despair, you're in anger. But then let's say you got a couple of years under your belt and, and list the person that you love who's an addict. And then they slip or they relapse, and it's all about now what do you do? How do you cope with that? Those are the tough questions, and that's why we at Apps, Apps really do want to help you work through it. And the beauty of this work is that We do see couples get better. We do see families get healthy. We do see partners create their own life. Now, for anybody out there that's wondering, I mean, I'm sure you are, are you asking yourself, am I healthy? I don't feel healthy. I feel triggered all the time. I don't feel healthy. I feel like my life is still turned upside down. Well, if you've been dealing with this for a while, I absolutely want you to know that you're probably much, much healthier than you were at the beginning. Yeah, much. And that's why AppSAT's clinicians and coaches are so instrumental in helping you to develop a marker so that you can see the changes that you're making. And you know, Betrayal Recovery Radio, that's what this show is called, um, exposes you to all sorts of philosophies and all sorts of, um, principles that give you some, some food for thought. Today we are going to be having Josh Nichols on and He's going to be talking about the fact that he really believes that sex addicts are empaths. And I can't wait to hear what he has to say. I realized that I thought I knew what the word meant, and maybe I didn't. So we're going to be asking Josh about that. You all know that I wrote a book, uh, Help Her Heal, a sex addicts workbook for helping his partner, heal by developing empathy. And I just assume if you're an empath, you probably have the capability and capacity for empathy. So we'll have to check in. Because the truth of the matter is, Josh has been doing a lot of work, and he does see sex addicts as being empaths. And that's E-M-P-A-T-H-S. So if that means that he believes they're empathetic, which I don't even know if he believes that now that I think about it. I was getting ready to do the show, and I thought I knew what I was going to be talking about, and I'm not so sure I do. But because I'm making an assumption, so I am going to look up that word, and I'm going to find out what empaths mean so that I can, if you will, talk knowledgeably this situation. Um, Because you know, I think that if sex addicts had empathy, um, the sex addiction robbed them of that empathy. And what I really know to be true is that a lot of sex addicts were born without empathy. Now, an empath, Chiefly in science fiction is a person with the paranormal ability to apprehend the mental or emotional state of another individual. Hmm, boy. I wonder if that's what he means. Because there's no doubt that that part is true, that someone with sex addiction has um, apprehended, if you will, let me just go back, the mental or emotional state of another individual. Hmm. I guess I see uh, an empath. I see a sex addict is causing the emotional or mental state of another individual, a.k.a. the partner. So it says, what does it mean to be an empath? The trademark of an empath is feeling and absorbing other people's emotions and or physical symptoms because of their high sensitivities. These people filter the world through their intuition and have a difficult time intellectualizing their feelings. Hmm. Well, I can't wait to talk to Josh because I'm not seeing this to be true. And the beautiful thing is I'm open-minded. So I'm going to be very open to his comparison The sex addicts are a lot like Mr. Rogers. Now, Somebody who I really think a lot of, Orloff, she's an MD, and she does emotional freedom technique, says that the trademark of an empath is feeling and absorbing other people's emotions because truly they have their own high sensitivities. They filter the world through their intuition and have a difficult time talking about their feelings. Judith says, as a psychiatrist and empath, I know the challenges of being a highly sensitive person. When overwhelmed with the impact of stressful emotions, empaths may experience panic attacks, depression. Boy, this sounds like a a partner to me. Chronic fatigue, food, sex, and drug binges. Oh, no, not so much there. Or exhibit many other physical symptoms that defy traditional diagnoses. So, Dr., uh, I actually have her book. Dr. Orloff, if you will, is a psychiatrist, and she says, I'm an empath. And when I get overwhelmed, I may experience one of the following. So, think if your husband experiences panic attacks, depression, chronic fatigue, food, sex, or drug binges. Um, And if they've been misdiagnosed in the past. So empaths can also learn how to center themselves so they don't feel too much or become overloaded. Now, you and I both know that if you believe that your husband is an empath, um, then he really needs to develop some life strategies. Empaths are highly sensitive, they absorb other people's emotions, a lot of times they're introverted, they're highly intuitive, they need some alone time, they become overwhelmed in intimate relationships, they're targets for people that suck them dry of their energy, and they become replenished in nature. Okay can't wait for Josh to come on the air until we can talk about this. Um, and be thinking about your life in general. I mean, truly. I'm sure you've asked yourself a million times, why did this happen? Explain it to me. I don't get it. How could he have ever done this to me, right? Yeah, 100%. So maybe if we understand what Josh has to tell us, it will make more sense how he could have gone off the rails, if you will, and binged on sex or drugs or any other substance. Now, the truth of the matter is that uh, we do see sex addicts that have other addictions, and it's all about medicating them. So this is not unusual. And um, we look for other addictions when we're diagnosing sex addiction. We almost always know they're there, and here's the bad news if sex addiction gets better, other addictions get worse. And they may not be substance abuse. It might be gambling. It might be eating. It might be working. Um, And so as a qualified sex addiction therapist, we are always looking for other things that could show up or, as we say, rear their ugly heads. And I'm sure Josh has seen that, too, because he is an expert in this field. So I just want to welcome him to the show, Josh Nichols. I know this is part one of two-part series on um, empaths and sex addiction and your correlation to sex addicts being a lot like Mr. Rogers, right?
1: That's right. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I appreciate you uh, being willing to talk to me about this. This is actually um, something that kind of uh, has taken a life of its own with me. I've really gotten more and more interested as I started writing about it. But, yeah, I uh, it, it it kind of took me by surprise, too.
0: Well, okay, so did you do a study on Mr. Rogers, or did you see that movie that was so Excellent
1: on on Mr. Rogers. Yeah, it's it's been kind of an interesting journey for me. I I have become a major fan of Mr. Rogers just here in recent times. Um, I didn't grow up watching his show. I knew of him. I knew about him, uh, but uh, you know I, I'm uh, you know I grew up in the '80s, and um, so his show was obviously going on during that time, but. We just It just it was never um, a show that my parents uh, exposed to us, you know, but we knew who he was. Um, and so I really didn't have much of an interest in the movie when it came out last year. Uh, but my wife grew up watching Mr. Rogers, and her birthday rolled around uh, about a year ago, or I guess over a year ago now. Um, and, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, this was actually in January of this year. I believe so. COVID has got me all uh, messed up on my timeline here. Yeah, so as her her, uh, birthday rolled around, um, she just said, you know, I'd really like to go see that new Mr. Rogers movie, and I'd be honest with you, I wasn't too thrilled about doing that, but it was her birthday, so, you know, we went and did what she wanted to do, and you know, it was about 15 minutes into the movie, of course Tom Hanks is uh, portraying Mr. Rogers, uh and I was blown away. Like I just I was I, I leaned over to my wife and I was just like this movie is awesome and we're only like 15 minutes in. And his who this man was and how uh how Tom Hanks captured him, uh just it captured me, you know, and and from there, you know, I just have been on this uh, this Mister Rogers binge in a way, you know, just you know, reading about him, reading about him, uh, uh, listening. I listened to an entire podcast series about him called Finding Fred, which if uh, your listeners are interested in, that is a fantastic podcast on on the life of Mister Rogers. Um, and just engaging in conversations with uh, people who grew up watching him. I kind of feel like I missed out on that piece of it, but in other ways I don't feel like I missed out because um, I, I just have found his life so meaningful in, in my adult life just in these last several months.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because um, because of COVID, I, I don't have the time to watch movies, and it's really been a, a major change in my life that I don't do that anymore. I don't go out to the theaters nearly enough. But um, with COVID, of course, we, every Friday or Saturday night, picked a movie to watch. And we had picked two movies my husband had that were fairly violent, and he did not know they were violent, but I can't watch violent movie as movies, and so I said, hey, it's my turn to pick. And I had heard that the Mr. Rogers movie was so um, – would really appeal to therapists and would appeal
1: mm-hmm. in
0: the fact that Mr. Rogers had that excellent relationship with, um, with the journalists. And so mm-hmm. – We turned it on, and my husband, who I thought would fall asleep, even though he doesn't fall asleep, he loved the movie. He absolutely loved it. So he, like you, immediately uh, was intrigued by who Mr. Rogers was. So why don't you go into that a little bit, if you will. Um, Share with our listening audience, obviously, You were intrigued by the movie. You watched it, and then you wanted to write an article. Tell us a little bit about that article.
1: Yeah, um, probably almost immediately, um, maybe even before them. I even got finished watching the movie. um, I was thinking about writing about this. Um, I, I think, just personally, on a personal note, I was just so. As I said, I was just so moved. By um who this man was and how he impacted people um that I just you know had this uh the, what I felt like was kind of this moment of clarity of that um that he's an empath, you know, and um you can tell at least and this again at this point in time, this was completely based on Tom Hanks's portrayal of of mr Rogers because uh, as i'm sitting there in the theater watching this this is other than just seeing you know pictures of him on on tv or uh, some or brief little clips or something i had no i had no uh, uh point of reference of of who he really was you know and and um and so as i'm sitting there and i'm thinking he's an empath and and in in y- basing that on just how he seemed to just feel and consume the emotional energy uh, around him. So, in other words, you know, Mr. Rogers seemed to be able to, like, walk into a room, and he would be able to, to know who was suffering, you know. Um, he'd, he'd be able to pick up on that emotional energy, and he seemed, um, that seemed to be what was uh, portrayed in the movie when it comes to uh, the, the journalist who, who went by the name Lloyd Vogel in, in real life. His name is Tom Junod. Or I don't know if I'm saying his last name right, but um, but um, he just seemed to know something was going on for this man, you know, and and he had uh, he he was able to give him the right kind of presence and respond with the right type of emotional energy in return that really drew this man. I mean, it it inspired such a curiosity in him um, that it uh, ultimately you know changed his life, or or at least heavily deeply impacted his life so I, I really spent some time you know thinking about it and thinking about the work that I do as a sex addiction therapist and, and kind of realizing that what I believe that, um, that a lot of not, not all sex addicts but a lot of them are empaths um, at their core um, the difference is that Mr. Rogers figured out how to manage it and sex addicts before they are become sex addicts, didn't know um, how to manage these feelings because the empath, is it's a little different than being empathetic, you know. So um, everybody can be empathetic, you know, which is basically trying to do your best to understand the situation and circumstances and emotions surrounding any given individual and in what we often what we say in layperson's words is you know kind of putting yourself in their shoes or seeing through their lenses as much as we can to understand their situation and to feel the feelings that emanate from them you know so we don't just know they're hurting we, we hurt with them you know and most most of us are equipped to do that but impasse is this is more like a way of life for them so they they kind of just naturally pick up on energy and absorb it and feel it, you know, and, and it's not uh, something that they really have to be intentional about, like the, most of us um, regular people, I guess, would have to do. Um, so if, if you don't know how to manage the intensity of those feelings as they come in, um, then, you know, you, you end up finding a substance of, of some sort, whether it be drugs, alcohol, or in, the, in kind of what we're talking about, using your sexual impulses um, you can you know eventually find yourself in quite a pickle and that's when people become sex addicts they they end up in our offices and we're working with them and their empath has kind of just been been stored away in some cases for a lot a lot of years so for a lot of people, it'd probably be hard to especially partners i, I would I, i'd probably i mean I don't think I would ever like introduce this concept to a partner on day one in treatment, you know, um, because it'd be really it, it could really feel like insult to injury to them. But just for other people that are that, and you know, what they're understanding uh, is a sex addiction and sex addicts, might be hard to um, buy into this this idea that you know underneath all that their sex addiction is really just smoke and mirrors, and underneath all of that is is. This superpower. The, I, I see it as a superpower. It's the closest thing that we have, I think in, in human existence to a superpower to be able to to read a room in such a way to pick up on the emotional energy like Mr. Rogers did and just know how to to, to present yourself in such a way that just helps you know calm the room, eases tension, connects with somebody, you know, it's just really an amazing ability once when you figure out how to utilize it that way. And I think Mr. Rogers, I, I believe he clearly was a master at that.
0: Well, I do too. And so, again, what made you believe that sex addicts may also have these superpowers? And two, what woundings in their childhood may have led
1: To them developing The superpowers Yeah um, So uh, You know If I probably I would probably have a hard time uh, With this If uh, when I was just starting Out and working With um, uh, Sex addicts and and people dealing With sexually compulsive behavior uh, Probably Simply because I, I new at it, you know, as we, you know, very well as we, um, the, the more that we dive into this and uh, the more we learn and we understand, and, and you and I have talked about this before, how we're, we're, we're we'll probably always be students of this field, um, and I've really come, uh, over the last several years in working with sex acts, really come to understand that there is such a deeper um, part of them that exist that is is buried away and one way i say it is that they they become expert compartmentalizers and so you know um you know, there there possibly and there might and you might know more about this than i do you know uh, is some evidence that maybe you know empathy or be, or what we would say being an empath might have some genetic components to it whether it's you know, it's, it's actually coded in the DNA or it's passed through the epigenetic system or something like that. But I do tend to believe that, that this uh, development of this superpower really comes with trauma. And so, um, you know, basically the, uh, an easy way for me to say it is that uh, sex addicts have often experienced too much of life the hardships or the darkness of life far too young in their life, you know, so it's basically, you know, a product of trauma and, and, and sex addicts seem to me to have some of the darkest trauma stories that I've ever heard, you know, and they experience more of the darkness of life than most of us ever will. And they do that from at a very young age. And so from this very young age, they they experience these really intense feelings and, uh, uh, fear and sadness and grief and, and they have nowhere to deliver them, you know, because usually their environments that they're in, those environments don't really present, um, or offer them a sense of safety for them to be able to, uh, to, appropriately uh, appropriately or effectively express those feelings. Um, and in a lot of ways, if they did, that would be dangerous for them. So they learn to compartmentalize those feelings. And um, so I, so what I tell addicts is they often become what I call expert compartmentalizers. Well, in the compartmentalization of these really intense feelings, they basically, in my mind, they are compartmentalizing their inner empath. You know, and um, because uh, emotions become just really too hard to handle. And it's, it's kind of more like a, If you think of like an inflamed muscle Or something like that That they have these heightened or inflamed Feelings That just happen to them And of course you know Children being really great survivors They learn how to, to Manage that through uh, Means such as Some sort of drug of choice or substance uh, That we've discussed And And um, over time they yeah, just become sort of so right yeah
0: yeah yeah it's just an self-suited. effort to
1: self-soothe. Yeah. so right and um and in some cases just kind of turning it off you know uh versus just uh instead of compartmentalizing they just somehow or another figure out how to turn it off and um so you know, and I and to be honest with you, like I when you when you dive into their lives and you hear their stories, you know I can't really blame them for that because there's nobody there really nudging them along and teaching them how to manage these feelings and, and like I said, really intense feelings in a healthy way. And to be honest with you, I have no clue how Mister Rogers did it because you know I know he has a trauma story, you know, and somehow or another. You know, I don't know if it was just, you know, the time that, you know, the internet wasn't around at that time or, or his circumstances is just were such where he just didn't have substances available to him. But somehow or another, he figured this out. And um, uh-huh. that, that I, I would like to learn more about.
0: Well, you know, Judas Orla, um, who is an MD considers herself an empath, and she has a great article in Psychology Today called 10 Traits Empathetic People Share. And so she says the following. She says, empaths are highly sensitive, and they absorb other people's emotions. They're introverted, or at least have that tendency, and they're highly intuitive. They... Lead need alone time, probably like the introverts, to replenish. Um, they can easily become overwhelmed in intimate relationships. They are targets for em- energy vampires. So, you know, they'd be more than likely to get a job where work would just suck everything out of them. They become right. replenished by being in nature, and they have highly tuned senses. And lastly, she says, empaths have huge hearts, but sometimes, in giving too much, um, they have felt resentment." And so, do you see any of those signs in sex addicts?
1: Well, yeah, I think so. You know, um, the first, the the thing that I was thinking about as you were reading those off is like, is that can you imagine how? difficult it would be to live with those traits if you didn't know how to manage them. You know, I mean Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, as you read all those off, I haven't read that article. I'm going to have to uh, go check it out, but um yeah, I was just as you was reading that, I was I was like, well, yeah, if you if if all that is happening to you and you don't know how to manage that, you're going to look for something your your brain just has this, uh, you know, natural instinct to keep you alive, you know. So um, it's going to want you to seek something out for comfort. Uh, and so, yeah, but to answer your questions, as for a lot of clients, and, and I want to be clear, to be clear, this isn't all sex acts. There there are definitely some, um, you know, sex acts I've, I've worked with where finding the empath has, has been difficult or it, or because it's either not there or it's just deeply buried away but um but yeah for a lot of them you know once once we get they're able to kind of build the infrastructure to their recovery and we can start helping them learn what it means to truly love themselves um you start finding out that you got a suffering person under there and and this is something that you know, a little glimpse into next week when we talk, but that that um, uh, that suffering person isn't only suffering from the things that they've experienced in life. They suffer from the way life just is and how life treats other people. You know, and so um, yeah, I've, I would just uh, answer that, that's the long way of saying yes. <laughs> I see that quite often. Among, you know, in sex acts. but like I said, it takes a little bit, it even takes a little bit for them to find that, you know, so they yeah. don't even quite buy into this in the beginning.
0: So, right, and, and again, probably one of the number one criteria according to this article is that they are highly sensitive. And it'd be interesting to, to see are they highly sensitive because they have had great wounding many times in their childhood, or Mm-hmm. Were they highly sensitive, and the great wounding just made it worse, you know?
1: Yeah, that, that's a really good question. I I would be interested in knowing that, too, mm-hmm. for sure.
0: So then let me ask you, you know, you made reference to Fred Rogers being a tortured soul in your article. Now, what leads you to believe that, and do you believe that I mean, sex addicts are also... Tortured souls.
1: I definitely believe most sex acts are tortured souls, um, and um, well, and I've believed that for a long time. Just because when you when you dive into their their trauma histories, you know um, they live with some really dark stories and and uh, and, and life experiences. You know that um, it's just when, when with those things, those types of those deep, dark traumas are part of your story, it's just hard. You know, We I think most people, we, we don't want to have a sad story, you know. And so um, uh, when you have the level of trauma that they have, um, it tortures you, you know. And so, uh, but, and of course with, uh, you know, Fred Rogers, you know, isn't around to, to, for me to ask this question or would it probably be very difficult for me to be able to get it to him if he were. Um, but, um, I do believe that he was because I just don't know how someone like him could really do what he did without really understanding how, how people suffer, you know? And, um, I, I think that's gotta be a difficult, way uh, difficult existence i i kind of lead to be, uh, i tend to believe that that it might not have been exactly easy being mr rogers uh based upon that this idea of him being an empath um and i well, kind of after- think the movie i don't know if you remember that Do you, does it seem like the movie to you uh carol does it seem like it kind of alluded to that too oh
0: a hundred percent and um You know, one of the things that Mr. Rogers had that I don't think sex addicts have today, they may have had it earlier, but not today. Mr. Rogers really knew how to um, engage with people and make them feel comfortable and understood. And I believe that came directly from his tortured Um, Now, most addicts that have had trauma, uh, unfortunately, tend to reenact that trauma as opposed to win the person over. Um, I got a question for you, though. Obviously, you've written this article, and how can people both read Judith Orlis, Orlis' article, and I can give them that psychology today, but how can they compare that with your article uh, to probably one of the greatest TV superheroes we've ever had?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I, I didn't, when you read those, I, I have, like I said, I haven't read her article completely, so um, I'm hoping that maybe you can email me a link uh, soon on that. But um, just on the, the just what you read me, I didn't really see any kind of, a conflict there, you know, uh, that I've, I believe all those things that you, you read from her article to be true. Um, w- what the article really is kind of getting at is that, um, you know, sex addicts, they're, they're not bad people. They're often really good people. In fact, they're some of the best people that I've ever met um and they're not you know uh stains on society they're they're often lawyers and teachers and business people and uh, uh people that, that you know a lot of sex actors are very charming and people they people love them and um they just have this darkness uh within them that they uh work hard to keep hidden until it grows so big they can't anymore So I I would tend to think that if Mr. Rogers were alive today and he come across a sex addict, he wouldn't see that person as all that different from him. I really do believe that, because he would see to their core, and that you know that your most people battling this this thing is uh, are are good people, you know.
0: Absolutely. but you know what? I want to know where can clients get your article. Uh,
1: where can our this article, get your article is this article is front and center on my website, which is familysolutionsok.com, and it's about to be accompanied by part two, which should come up in the uh, in the next couple of days. That's uh, gonna that's uh, called um, what. Uh, sex addicts, or recovering sex addicts Can learn from Mr. Rogers Because like I said Somehow or another Mr. Rogers figured out how to manage it Where sex addicts did not figure out how to manage it And that's why, why they became what we call sex addicts you know? so, um, so those are about to uh, be Just right there back to back with each other And that's where they can find it Well
0: and let me remind my listening audience that You're listening to Josh Nichols, who is a certified sex addiction therapist and a licensed family and marital therapist, and he is co-owner of Family Solutions Counseling. His website, as he indicated, is www.familysolutionsok.com, and it's on that website that you can read his blogs uh, about Mr. Rogers, about sex addicts, managing your own superpower. I mean, we may have some partners listening who say, that is not my husband, but that's me. Um, And so you can always go to his um, YouTube channel, Recovery TV, and that URL is www.youtube.com forward slash TV. For you, so Josh, I know this is a two-part series, and I got some more questions for you. I'm glad that you clarified that empaths are not the same as people that have a lot of empathetic qualities, although they may. Um, I want to know. You know, addicts really tend to feel a lot of shame and and guilt about what they've done. Can you share with me, if you will, um, what you think addicts can do to decrease that shame and manage that guilt?
1: Yeah, that's the million-dollar question right there um, because, mm-hmm. Um, a lot of um, recovery work in in clinical treatment, I believe, is going to focus on that question because shame is the culprit, you know, and so I love Brene Brown's, uh, dist- uh, the way she distinguishes between shame and guilt, uh, saying that, you know, guilt is saying, I'm sorry, I made a mistake, and shame saying is saying, I'm sorry, I am a mistake, you know, so... Guilt is good and shame, not so good. And, you know, the way that the addiction works is that, you know, they use it to escape those types of feelings. But the mechanism that they use to escape those feelings, like, for example, you know, having sex um, ends, up, um, it, it ends up offering a bit of relief in that moment. But then on the other side, it, it just digs that wound even deeper and exacerbates that shame. So, you know, th- this, is what, this is kind of a glimpse into our next conversation, I believe. So that because um, part of this journey, or a big part of the journey for a recovering sex addict and doing shame reduction is really learning um, to love themselves and take that risk of what that means. And, and, and the thing, I, one thing I believe about that is that loving themselves isn't something that doesn't exist and we've got to figure out how to make it exist. You know, so in other words, um, uh, it, it's like a muscle that's just not being exercised, it's not being worked out, and it's atrophied. So it's there. You know, we just got to help them dig deep into the, you know, into the painful center of those wounds, so we can first clean out the wound and get some healing, and then help them start to exercise this muscle. And it is so scary for them because they. They don't feel like they deserve it. They feel like that this is a life sentence, and they need to be they need to be punished for that. And what they don't realize is that um, their their partners that are working through this with them are watching them uh, hurt themselves even more, and that doesn't give them any confidence that the relationship's going to work because they want to be in a committed relationship with somebody who who loves themselves. You know, so I don't know if that, if that quite answers your question, but I do think we'll we'll probably end up talking about that more next time, too.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, you close out your article by discussing what you see as your role as a therapist for sex addicts. If you would, could you kind of read a brief segment of, um, as a sex addiction yeah. therapist, I...
1: Yeah, yeah, I'd be happy to, to read that. So it um, so just says that this is the closing statement. It says, As a sex addiction therapist, I don't just want to therapize my clients. I also want them to experience from me a person that truly cares for them. I want to be someone that sees past all the smoke and mirrors and directly into the good that I believe them to be. I want to be a calm and nurturing presence that shows them a side of humanity that, although imperfect, doesn't tear down, destroy, or abandon. I want them to know I see them and that they matter to me. I could never guarantee that I would be able to help them learn to do this for themselves, although that would be a goal. But maybe I could give them a taste of something that transcends addiction, trauma, and loss love. So, yeah, that, that I, I, I remember writing that and. You know, uh, as I was writing, I got I think I. You know, I was kind of getting caught up in the emotion of this, of this article, and, um, and you know, like I said, just feeling really impacted by Mr. Rogers, and I just found that you know, as a therapist, I want to be more like him. You know, and um, and, and I think in some ways, I could probably do a be, do a better job of. Of some of those things that I mentioned, and that's that's the type of presence that I want to uh, to be for my clients that come in here.
0: Well, I get that, and I really appreciate, if you will, um, that philosophy. I mean, that's a very non-judgmental um, Eriksonian way of thinking. Have you ever heard of Milton Erickson? Oh yes, yeah. Because Milton Erickson was had the ability to look at a person and be able to always find the positives in them and build from that positive strength. And and like you said earlier, um, you would not necessarily talk about impasse to a partner who just experienced discovery because she is so hurt. She's looking at her husband like he is the devil incarnate. So to hear that he might have positive qualities just would not be a good fit. But down the road, most partners can see the good qualities in their husbands, and they see the wounding, and they want their husbands to get better. Even if they can't make it in the relationship, they want their husbands to get better for themselves and for their kids. And I can really tell that you – also believe in their self worth.
1: Absolutely, and if I had a message to partners that are, that are listening to this, um, and it, if they're listening, they're thinking this guy is full of crap. I would say that's exactly where you need to be right now, because it is more important that the that their husbands, as you say, so the the addict. Um, by they start working in this direction and believe this before the partners do, you know, I think it'd be very dangerous for partners to offer this kind of, of compassion and, and understanding in uh, before the addict starts learning to do this. So I just, I just want to let your partners that are listening to this know that.
0: Absolutely. And so as we, End the show for today Is there anything else that you would like Partners to know About your article Or about what they have to look Forward to next week
1: Yeah so um, Next week I'm, I'm really Excited about this, this next Conversation and, and discussing What sex addicts Can learn from um, Mr. Rogers and how We're going to talk about you know, uh, what uh, what Mr. Rogers did and, what, and how he operated in his life, to, it, it, this is my best uh, assessment on how he was able to manage this. because The big mystery to me is how did this man do this? When so many people get caught up in this world of addiction, somehow or another he was able to figure out a, a healthy way to manage these feelings. And, and that's uh, uh, what the next article is about. Um, and then again, just like I said before, uh, to partners that are skeptical of this, um, like I said before, I, uh, I that's exactly where you should be, and um, and you know don't feel bad about um, about not. Uh, I, I think a lot of partners are are really good caretakers, and they they are some of the toughest people I've ever met in my life, and so sometimes they feel bad that they're not in. That, that they're not being nurturing to the the addicts who have hurt them so badly. And so I just want to give them permission to not do that right now if that's where they are. Well,
0: thank you very much, Josh Nichols. We will look forward to talking with you next week. And um, you have a good fourth. okay?
1: You too. Thank you for having me. I look forward to our conversation next week.
0: Me too, and you'll be on vacation, so I appreciate the fact that you're taking your time out to finish up this segment on the similarities between Mr. Rogers. And his article, again, is called Managing Your Superpower, What Mr. Rogers Has in Common with Sex Addicts. So we'll see you next week, Josh.
1: All right, we'll see you later.
0: All right. So most definitely... We know that uh, everybody has some sort of superpowers, and I don't blame you if you're not feeling like your husband has them right now. But I want to guarantee you that um, if it's safe and you can accept and acknowledge some of those, you'll feel a little bit better. You know, a Carol the Coachism is what you appreciate, appreciates. And at some point in your relationship, I know he has horribly wounded you, but I truly believe if you're working on staying together and getting through this, it'll be important for you to see a few of his positive qualities. I'm Carol, the coach. We'll see you next week for more information about sex addicts. And please, please, please have a good fork. No matter what is happening in your life right now, no matter how wounded you feel, do something that makes you feel good about you. Intentional self-care is the antidote to sanity when you're a partner. We'll see you next week for more Betrayal Recovery Radio at appsats.org.